Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. And we're back for an all-new episode of Keep It. I'm Ira Madison Third. I'm Louis Fertel. I assume you're going to Coachella this weekend. Me? Coachella? Yeah. I feel like you'd fit in there. Yeah, I'm going to Coachella. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we've talked much about it this year. Who are, you, who are your top-ranked phenomena that you're excited to see? Well, so first of all, I'm very excited to see the opener um, headliner, Harry Styles, because I I feel like I like Harry Styles more than I like his music, but sure. I really like the um, new song as it was. Like, I feel like it's fine. I feel like his personality is, the music is finally catching up with his personality. I hear that. I will say about that song, and I do think the chorus is great and catchy and has that nostalgic 80s flavor that is popping up here and there in music. I do feel like stylistically, it's a little contrived from him. He had that song, Sign of the Times, before. And even then, I was like, is this who Harry Styles really is? Uh, but the song is good, so I accept him as he is. Yeah, you know, he he's living his um, queer faggot life. <laughs> just like us oh my god i mean that's i i do remember the annoying um era where it was like harry styles is in a dress and it's like oh is harry styles bisexual and now i feel like harry styles has you know now that we're dating miss wild um has just sort of settled into a nice i'm just a rock star phase you know and like i i like painting my nails and like i like um eccentric outfits i feel like the styling is better now too and now it feels more in time with just sort of like previous rock icons we've had from like the 60s and 70s i feel like you know it doesn't feel mm -hmm. like he's i felt like he was trying to figure out who he was uh, one of the few times on Twitter where somebody made a joke that completely shut down a conversation, as in there's no way the joke could have been topped. You know, Danielle Perez, mm -hmm. she's a comic here in LA. There was that, I, I forget what magazine, but uh, Harry Styles was wearing this sleek um, uh, Kelly Green dress and he had his leg pointed outward and Danielle Perez's joke was how the Grinch got everything in the divorce. And it was so funny you just couldn't beat it and it's like <laughs> in a way you don't want jokes to be that good it's like well now we can't have fun anymore you, you beat us all <laughs> um, i'm also looking forward to um finally seeing doja cat live oh sure yeah um megan the stallion is there um carly ray jepson is back gonna give the gays everything uh, they want with her new <laughs> okay that her new album is called western wind and you know we all got Lady Gaga Joanne vibes from that. <laughs> but I was told recently it's not a Western-themed album, that the first single is fantastic. And I am, as I've established many times in this show, hard CRJ cult. Well, I mean... Her kind of like Rugrats-y effervescence. <laughs> Love it. Uh, Rostam produced her first track, so I'm sure it'll be oh. great. 
Oh, and, I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, okay, and uh, he famously did um, Warm Blood for her. So I feel like it'll probably be in that vein. Not Joanny, but more, you know, like um, vibes. Yeah, moody. Yeah. I was just thinking, I think climate change has, you know, th- there are obviously <laughs> physical effects of climate change. It has also eroded everybody's vocabulary, including mine, to be just the word vibe. It just is the only thing we say now. It's like Sims. Well, Paula Abdul, vibe, 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 vibe. Paula Abdul is okay with that. <laughs> wow, she did define it once upon a time. She's a professor of vibology. Uh, also, like, the, the city girls are performing, so that'll be interesting um seeing them turn it out uh i'm just really just looking forward to being at a music festival again yeah. you know um i'm glad that i'm glad the acts aren't completely um awful and boring i actually like this lineup more than the lineup that i think was supposed to be like the one before COVID happened. I think it was like Rage Against mm. the Machine and mm. Frank Ocean. And there was no way Frank Ocean was actually going to show up. So um, <laughs> this, this is probably for the best. And you don't get Kanye, which I'm sure you're simply torn up about. You know, we don't have to talk about that. <laughs> uh, oh, you are torn up about it. I'm not torn right. up about it, but I would have been there. I would have watched yeah, it. Got it. I would have watched it. Um, speaking of uh, Kanye, um, his ex-wife is stalking me. Meaning, what? I mean, I was at I was at John and Vinny's um, for lunch, and then hours later, she was that's a restaurant the, over here, by the way. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, she was in the booth with um, Pete Davidson hours later after the um, Kardashians premiere, which oh. Being back in LA for Coachella uh, and driving around and seeing the damn billboards for the Kardashians, it's like um, new network, next level. I'm like, this is the same fucking show. <laughs> I, tell me about the levels they bring. <laughs> it is the they're exact still mumbling, same They're still fucking mumbling show. about some old fight that they fabricated to have on camera. Yeah. And still the thing where it's drama we've already experienced which i know has to happen for um reality shows but you know like on real housewives when there's a fight um and some scandals going on you don't really know what it's about until it airs every piece of drama that Um, happens on the kardashians like has been milked to death in the media already uh, Dan Daddario from Variety wrote a uh, a piece about the new Kardashian show, specifically how it it's like you can watch Kim Kardashian outgrowing the genre she's in because it is pretty cra- obviously like reality TV star is like maybe the first descriptor you'd see in their Wikipedia bio, but it's also not really what they do anymore. So it feels almost redundant that they would have a show. Obviously, they have enough coverage outside, you know, streaming. Yeah, I want her to. I want her to try something different. You know, she's done her mogul thing. You know, can, can, can we get back to her um, acting era? That was yeah, fun. I, I, I'll even take a pop song. Temptation, Whatever. Confessions of a Marriage Counselor. Like that. That was a vibe. <laughs> okay. Professional podcaster reduced to that was a vibe. Okay. I'll just try to keep it on track. With the theme, okay. this this week's uh-huh. episode is about vibes, okay? And if there is any movie out right now that more encapsulates vibes um, than anything, it is everything, everywhere, all at once. 
Uh, yes, and we are very lucky to have the legendary and uh, to say delightful is a complete understatement. I was sitting in this interview just overjoyed with her. Michelle Yeoh is with us. The Bond girl. I was going to say, you know what? Bond woman. I, I feel like she rarely comes up in like a list of like the best Bond girls ever. And it's like, I mean, who is more formidable than Michelle Yeoh? I know. I feel like because she was part of that era that took the Bond girl to like Bond woman, you know, that was when we started to have the conversation. Should we be calling them Bond girls? As long as you call them. That's my RuPaul. Anyway, <laughs> we're not cutting that joke, Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> I want people to hear it. I want Danielle Perez to hear it and say, oh, okay, good. you know what? He's not as good as me. <laughs> <laughs> but Michelle Yeoh is clearly better than like, what other, like Maud Adams, Barbara Bach. Come on. Michelle Yeoh is top tier. Anyway. Yeah. I mean... Michelle Yeoh, Halle Berry, uh, I always... Eva Green. Yeah, I always forget that um, Grace Jones, I guess, wasn't a Bond girl. She was like a villain. Correct, yeah. yes. And and she got to stare angrily and have trapezoidal facial features all over that movie. Yeah, um, but getting back to everything, everywhere, all at once, uh, which, by the way, I fucking loved. And it's wild that it's from... Two directors who, um, they're collectively known as the Daniels, um, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, um, who got their start directing music videos. Um, as I feel most um, genre-bending um, movies that feel like a cult movie from the moment you watch it, uh, I feel like those directors always come from like music videos, like a Spike Jones. You know, yeah, David Fincher. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, they did um, DJ Snake's "Turn Down for What," which, uh, if you have ever heard that song even once, it's still resonating in your skull. So, <laughs> um, and a couple Foster the People um, songs that aren't um, pumped up kicks, so you probably never heard them before. I was going to say they are not ringing a bell. Uh, so. But um, you know, their last film um was their debut uh swiss army man which i still have not seen uh i have friends who are stands uh it doesn't seem like my sort of thing but that doesn't mean it's not good i just remember hearing farting corpse and uh i was like you know what it's not for me right some things just aren't for us also uh, i'm weirdly not a daniel radcliffe's Dan, to the point where I need to see everything that he's in, even though I do appreciate him, you know, as a um, elder statesman. Oh, yeah. No, uh, I, I would even just say a grown up. Yeah. Like when you ask him for a quote and he's like, here comes uh, uh, someone with a head on their shoulders. Uh, appreciate it enough. If you just provide that, we love it. Do you want to talk about what happened at the Oscars, Daniel Radcliffe? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm 5'2", and I got to get out of here. <laughs> uh, no, but the thing about um, this film is that it's one of those films that I feel like, you know, like The Matrix, you know? Like, when it comes out, like, everyone is talking about it, and everyone is sort of telling you to go and see it. I, I truly have not had a film, um, at least within the past few years, maybe thanks to the pandemic, um, but even right before the pandemic, where people are texting me, asking if I've seen it, 
or friends are like, hey, do you want to go see this movie? Uh, you know, it feels like everyone has it on their radar. Yeah, well, it's, I would actually compare it to, this does not seem intuitive, hereditary mm. in that it is putting together genres that seemingly don't belong together. Mm-hmm. Namely, like in Hereditary's case, you get like very visceral horror and then you get uh, uh, a family drama like uh, Rabbit Hole or something. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this movie, you get a very sensitive, observed family situation, a queer story, and that's looped together with this sort of comic book thing. This, uh, I don't think I'm giving much away by saying a multiverse thing. And uh, so there's, it's one of those something for everyone type movies. Yeah, I mean, A24 sort of does that well, you know, in addition, yeah. in addition yeah, to I being... Yeah, I guess that's what they do. Yeah, in addition <laughs> yeah. to being um, an Urban Outfitters, uh, they are yeah. also <laughs> uh, very good at sort of genre films that are multiple genres. I mean, I don't know if you've seen X yet. No, though... Again, like Gothica, everybody just went and agreed to see X. Everybody I know will st- stop coming up to me and telling me about this damn movie. Uh, I'm such a big Ty West fan. So uh, I was really excited to see um, X anyway. And plus, you know, I love like a throwback slasher movie. Um, when I saw The House of the Devil from him, I was just sort of like, it felt like it sort of reinvigorated that sort of like 80s splatter movie, um, but in a mm. really smart way. Although I will say that um, his movies do do have that effect where uh, ain't nothing happening until a bloodbath <laughs> in the last uh, half hour. It's, 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 it's vibes. Uh, it's yeah. atmosphere, mm. you know, and you sort of have to be along for the ride for that. But I will say that X is... Um, because it's more of like a fun ensemble piece and it's set in like, you know, like the um, 70s, like porn era. Um, it is a bit funnier and has a bit more going on um, while you're waiting for like the bloodbath to happen. So I would actually say like, maybe it's his best film for me. Um, by the way, um, skip me on any slasher movie that doesn't have comedy in it. It's got to. Uh, like You're Next, it ha- I love that level. I love the uh, social satire mixed in with you know, the traditional uh, horrifying imagery. Yeah, and you know, um, Fright Train is um, funny because you're like, why is this being made? (laughs) (laughs) It's a fleetingly funny thought while you're sitting there angry. But anyway, because everything everywhere all at once is quickly jumping to the top of everyone's like, favorite films list. Um, people are seeing it multiple times. Uh, it's Rotten Tomatoes score is sort of like through the roof. I figured we should use this week to talk about our favorite films. Like finally, our favorite films, but also... Weird that we haven't done yeah. it, but uh, I'm, I'm excited for it because I am... my The mind boggles and what the actual criteria is for this sort of thing. And if mm. it, anyway, we'll get into yeah, it. Yeah, we want to figure out what the actual criteria for a favorite film is as well. Uh, So we'll be right back with Lewis and I's favorite movies. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand... That was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) 
No? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. So, after seeing everything everywhere all at once, a lot of people are saying that it immediately became one of their favorite films. And in honor of that, I thought that Lewis and I should, one, finally talk about what our favorite films are. But also, we should figure out what criteria goes into deciding something is your favorite film. Because I feel like you agree with me that favorite film means favorite film you know we're not sitting here saying these are the best films ever made you know they're not mm-hmm. they're, it doesn't mean they're the best written um doesn't mean they like are technically the best have like maybe our favorite performances also might be in um movies that aren't in our favorite films you know i feel like when people try and talk about their favorite films they get stuck in sort of like well i should say something that i feel like is going to make me look smart uh, sure, there's some of that. I, I mean, like, I, it, it is this conflict to me because I, there are movies I've seen 7,000 times and then there are movies that I think are amazing that I've seen literally one time and probably wouldn't even watch again. But I think those movies deserve credit too. So to calibrate where these belong in the ranking system of favorite movies is actually quite vexing to me. Also, I just want to say in general, I don't know if this is like particularly a male orient, I, I feel like women are likelier to reject ranking. Mm-hmm. I feel like I, at least on Twitter, I, I'll see people being like, I'm sick of having to pick my top 10 from women critics, especially. Mm-hmm. So what we're what we're doing right now might be one male oriented or two gay male oriented. Nobody likes ranking shit more than gay men. Nobody. <laughs> um, but here's the thing. And, and this is another thing I'm weighing. I have long had a list of favorite movies. Like, if you ask me right off the bat, it's always going to be Rear Window. It's always going to be Clue. It's always going to be Airplane. Mm -hmm. But that's what I would have said in high school, too. And I wonder if keeping those as my favorite is more honoring a past version of myself Mm -hmm. than it is true to the current moment. Even though I've seen Clue 500,000 times so how could it not be one of my favorite movies? Anyway, I'm sorry to write a poem about this. We can just get into the movies. but Well, so 
starting with Clue for you, that's the movie you've mm-hmm. seen the most. And I have I have maybe seen Clue more than I have seen like a picture of Bugs Bunny. I think it is the piece <laughs> of media I have seen most times. Whereas I think everyone who listens to this podcast does it. Bring it on is the movie that I've seen the most. Bro, oh, correct. Yeah, yes. You know, it, it would be it would be weird if you did, if you told me Bring It On was not in your top three. Yeah, it'd be weird. Um, it's a movie that I feel like I immediately took to. It came out in August two thousand. That is um the summer right before um I started high school. So it was mm-hmm. sort of one of the last films I saw with um middle school friends before i went to like an all-boys school and so i wouldn't see like any of my girlfriends from like middle school anymore um and it just sort of like invigorated me like i was just sort of i was just sort of like really jazzed on this movie and i feel like i saw it every weekend um for like the next two months also that movie not only is it super funny it is very attitudinal you mm. know it's like a it's a it's a movie that all the characters are kind of um just a- aligned in the level of sauciness they bring mm-hmm. really and i feel like clueless is similar in that regard mm-hmm. and to me this has always been where mean girls lacks a little bit like certain characters uh you know bring a lot of personality and other ones like fall under our sort of typical high school characters mm-hmm. so to me clueless and bring it on are kind of in a league of their own Aaron Samuels is kind of lame right right not a dynamic character yeah. could have been anybody uh and i would also say that bring it on is from that specific era that we grew up with where um most of the stars of the teen tv shows we were watching were in movies so like I'm right. loving you could expect that. Elijah Dushku in this because like I watched her on Buffy, you know, and I feel like maybe like 80s uh, and sort of like early 90s um, teen movies, like the people were like finding actors, you know, to yeah. become movie stars. And we like late 90s, specifically like 2000s teen movies were who's on a popular teen show already. We'll just put them in a movie. Well, I think that also pertains to a movie that would be on both of our lists. Yours would likely be the sequel. Mine's the original, Scream. Yes. Which is, let's take Nev Campbell and Courtney Cox, two people we think we know, throw them in this circumstance, and their humor's even more biting now. Their uh, angst is even more uh, palpable. And, you know, we, we get one of the funniest, I mean, raddest movies of that decade yeah i always go back and forth with scream versus scream 2 because that is what i meant when i started out saying that like favorite film versus best film right i can find reasons that scream is a better made film than the sequel but they're sort of on par with me uh in quality Right. Well, also, I do think if you like the first one, it would be rare you didn't like the second one. Mm-hmm. You know. And so I like. Yeah. It's it's not it's not so much that one is good and one isn't. It's just like you're you're right. They're 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 pretty uh, level pegging. Like so, it's either it's almost random which one you would like more. And I would also say that Scream Two has quite a few sequences that I feel are um, the scariest moments in the series in general. 
that sure. sort of top like like number one has that you know obviously the iconic drew barrymore opening but you know like scream 2 has a bunch of like really thrilling chase scenes which i feel like scream 5 was missing right there no, were no I chase didn't feel scenes like they sustain they didn't sustain many scares in scream 5 unfortunately um like the one, and also it's like that movie had the same problem as Halloween Kills, where it's like, wait, Ghostface is just killing people like outside, or, or like this. He would never. He would in be the middle of the day. Furtive. I know. Yeah, it just doesn't work. Um, but uh, uh, okay, so Scream, we can both agree on uh, another thing. I have trouble. I I brought up um, Rear Window earlier. Now that's talk about suspense, obviously, mm-hmm. by the master of suspense, um, Hitchcock. But I think for me, the reason Rear Window will always be in my top three is. One, I it's one of the first movies I came to when getting into older movies, so it feels just important to me personally. Mm-hmm. But two, I really think Rear Window is the number one like guaranteed gateway drug into classic cinema if you're looking to get into it. Mm. And by that, I mean, for one thing, you watch it, it could only be an old movie. You're sitting there watching Jimmy Stewart look out his window at this clear set. This apartment complex is obviously a set. They have just a couple other characters in the movie, Grace Kelly and Thelma Ritter, and their relationships are so real. And the suspense is something everybody can relate to because everybody has been curious about the existence of a stranger before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, nowadays we obviously have lots of ways to keep tabs on strangers without them knowing. But this is sort of the beginning of what does it mean to be a voyeur, whatever. And it is successfully scary too. So, but, but because of the quaint nature of it because of the old-fashioned nature of it you as a viewer are like i've got to watch more movies like this Mm -hmm. so you end up watching all these hitchcock movies you end up watching you know the the non-hitchcock movies that feel like hitchcock movies and i mean like gaslight Mm -hmm. and uh movies like that so you still Um, hate vertigo right well i'll say this i think it's slow at times but that role could only be jimmy stewart Mm -hmm. because i think it would almost not be i hate using this word likable but he has that that palpable humanity and just um consideration and everything he does that it makes it, it makes him seem less like a uh uh erotic thriller uh anger overrun dude mm-hmm. i didn't have a hitchcock on my list when we you know came up with our list for this episode but obviously hitchcock's one of my favorite directors uh and i feel like Rear Window is a film that I love. If I'm sitting down to watch a Hitchcock film, um, it might be Vertigo before that. Uh, Psycho, definitely Rope. Um, But I feel like I really fucking love Strangers on a Train. Oh, yeah. Well, also... Strangers on a Train, which I was referenced very cleverly in an episode of Modern Family once. That just sprang to mind. Also, The thing with Strangers on a Train is why couldn't that happen? You know, you could almost just see two guys being like, let's exchange dirty business and see how it works out. Uh, Have you ever seen Throw Mom Up from the Train, which is based on it? Yes. Uh, One of the great supporting actress nominations, Anne Ramsey, just a a shocking comedy performance. Uh, But if we're talking old movies that, you know, sort of like get you into um, other classic films, my list includes Double Indemnity, which is just... Mm crackles from the beginning yeah you know it's one of those films like it sort of it sort of sets the pace for what the noir genre should be but it also starts out with so many um elements that become um movie tropes and cliches 
but like the, it's done excellently here like even starting with um the voiceover you know oh yeah uh, and like showing you like what's gonna happen at the end before you flash back uh and honestly fred mcmurray is an amazing actor and i love him and barbara stanwick in this film and i like i doubt that many keep it listeners have seen um his absent-minded professor films <laughs> but mm-hmm. um it's it's just funny seeing him you know in like shit like that and then watching um double indemnity and i have to feel like that's what audiences were getting when they first went to see this movie like they were both playing against type in this film speaking of movies from sort of around that time all about eve definitely one of my favorite movies and i have to say here's the reason why it's actually rare you get a movie that is from beginning to end witty it's a perfect yes it's a perfect script and it's also so fucking funny like oh my god oh my god please betty davis is like laying people out left and right like and also the one-liners she's throwing away it's not just somebody who's you know it's not like insult comedy the entire time it's the the uh the jadedness with which she dispenses these jokes and of course addison dewitt one of the great best supporting actor winners uh george sanders uh is fabulous as a uh a drama critic and by the way how many times do we get even a believable critic in a movie it's just that's that's something you really see Mm -hmm. well you know they don't build statues of them so (laughs) right (laughs) nice work um another movie from that era is written on the wind which is my favorite cirque film and also my favorite melodrama um we've talked about this on the podcast before i mean a film that has um a man being danced to death Right, by Dorothy Malone. That's the Best Supporting Actress winner in 56. It also, people forget that Robert Stack, who I think most people now know as the host of Unsolved Mysteries, the original Mm -hmm. run, uh, used to be a dramatic actor. And then uh, this movie, he's palling around with uh, Rock Hudson. Yeah, and I love the Rock Hudson era of him in dramatic roles, too. Before, you know, um, he was in Pillow Talk and all that. Uh, Which... Uh, let me say something about Pillow Talk, which is not one of my favorite movies. It does have Thelma Ritter from All About Eve giving a great drunk performance. Mm-hmm. There is a joke in that movie at the expense of some woman, and, and it's about her looks. That is so fucking mean, it ruins the entire movie for me. As in, I'm surprised <laughs> more people don't talk about it. And that Doris Day would be in that movie. living <laughs> or, <laughs> Saint Doris Day. You know what's a good movie with her? Uh, Teacher's Pet from the year before. It's uh, her, one of Clark Gable's last movies, and Gig Young who would later win an Oscar for They Shoot Horses, Don't They, which is in my top five favorite movies, which, uh, God, I'm, I'm sure I've brought up this movie 10,000 times. He brought it up to Jane Fonda herself. But uh, it's Jane Fonda's best movie and performance, I think, because I think maybe no one in the history of movies has done anger better than Jane Fonda. Like To perform cynicism in a role, it was this hardened uh, bitch character the whole movie's about dance dance marathons during the Depression where people would dance for days on end. Uh, and the one who survived at the end of it, this is like something they would do on a YouTube channel now, um, would, would get like a cash prize and everybody else would simply perish and win nothing. But um, it is a harrowing movie. Does not get bleaker than that movie. Talk about a movie you can barely watch two times. But it looks fabulous. And it's also a Sidney Pollock movie. And let me tell you something. Obviously, I love Tootsie. But he's made some movies I don't like, like Out of Africa. So it's crazy that he brought the level of power he did in this movie. 
<laughs> but speaking of Meryl Streep in Out of Africa, I just rewatched a movie I have long considered one of my favorites over the weekend, Sophie's Choice. Mm. Allow me to confirm that it fucking rules. I have heard people before say it's too long, it's ponderous. I totally disagree. It's like Rear Window. It's about really three people and their friendship. And even though it has a reputation for being super dour, and obviously it is dour, it goes into a very trauma-based place, talking about the Holocaust. If, if you don't know what Sophie's Choice is, oh my God, how are you listening to this podcast? But anyway, what it really is, is a hangout movie. It's Meryl Streep, Peter McNichol, who is fabulous, and Kevin Klein, who is scary and astounding, building a friendship. And it's one of those movies like, I would compare it to maybe like an education or The Great Gatsby, where somebody is getting their life through a new and unexpected relationship. Um, or unexpected relationships. It's, it's it's about like friendship as adventure, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, um, God, I really recommend it for that reason. And, and Meryl's performance, I, I'm I'm glad it has the stature it has. It it is one of the best performances ever. Did I forget any other uh, favorite movies of mine? Uh, also, Airplane is one of my favorite movies. I love uh, th- how how deadpan the humor is played throughout that movie. I obviously love the quantity of jokes in that movie. Mm-hmm. And what is shocking about Airplane and that people I think forget to talk about is much of the plot, characters, and dialogue is directly lifted from a 1957 movie called Zero Hour. Mm. And then comedy is inserted around it, mm. which is, it's because like the studio had access to that or owned that movie so they could use the material from it. Mm-hmm. And what an what a, uh, a mysterious way to uh, approach a comedy. Just take like a straight up serious movie and be like, actually, if we add a few mo- moments here and there, it turns into this first thing. Yeah. I mean, I've already had Wes Craven on my list from um, Scream. But, you know, like if we're talking about um, like early career films that are just like fucking magnificent, um, the original Nightmare on Elm Street is one of my favorites. Oh, I yeah. love watching that film. Uh, it's It's great, too, because it's a horror film and it's that, you know, feels scary still because it's made on such like a shoestring budget. Right. I love the scrappiness of it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, j- just e- Heather Langenkamp's performance. This is just a dream. It isn't real. Like the screaming mm-hmm. is so scary. And also speaking of like horror-esque films, I don't really know if this is a horror film so much as like a action film, but Jurassic Park, the way that Jurassic Park had like this grip on me. It had a fucking chokehold on me as a kid. I was obsessed with Jurassic Park. I actually think it's probably the film that I've seen the second amount of times after Bring It On because when Jurassic Park came out, the way that my parents would just drop me off at the movies by myself because I had to see this movie again and again and again. Spielberg's like Spielberg magic has never been more evident in a movie than this one for me. I wasn't like an E.T. person as a kid, probably because we're like 86. So I feel like people Mm. born slightly earlier than us like really love E.T., but E.T. never really did it for me. Jurassic Park fucking does it for me. And the way that everything in this movie looks so fucking realistic in 2022. Right. Oh, totally. Also, I want to say, I will say about E.T. quickly. that movie does nail the feeling of the suburbs better than most movies ever do. I will give it that. But about Jurassic Park, I mean, that's a movie to me that's like The Devil Wears Prada or something where once it comes on, what are you supposed to do? Look away. You know, like you have to simply be there and experience the whole thing. Also, that movie, 
I guess created like a space in like the fontanelles on baby brains where now they just are obsessed with dinosaurs. Yes. Like that didn't exist before. I was obsessed before. with <laughs> dinosaurs. Yeah. The way that the way that my bedroom uh, as a kid was like dinosaurs and Ghostbusters shit. Yeah. Oh, I actually did have a lot of Ghostbusters yeah. toys. Uh, I had all the action figures, even an Annie Potts action figure, which mom and dad, uh, do you regret <laughs> it now? Because look what happened. And well, yeah. my thing is that, like, I enjoy Ghostbusters, and I will, that's a movie that I'll always watch when it's on TV. Ghostbusters 2, which I feel like I enjoy slightly more just because when I was a kid, um, the slime, the Vigo slime shit was funny yes. to me um, and cool Very as a kid. Nickelodeon. But like Ghostbusters mm-hmm. for me feels like one of those films that I wouldn't even put it in my like top 30 of favorite films ever, either of them. But I was obsessed with Ghostbusters shit as a kid. And I feel like that was the power of 80s advertising and consumerism. Oh, absolutely. No, I, would, I, I don't think I knew anybody who didn't have Ghostbusters or toys. Or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle the- toys. Oh, I had fucking all of them. Every time I go to like a gay warehouse party that's in some like laser lit underground zone, I feel like I'm Secret in the skate the park from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like in the first, oh, the first one, one where like where like Danny hangs out and smokes with all his cool friends. Yeah. I was like, shit, this is what being cool is. And now I live that and pay $20 to go meet other men in men's shirts. <laughs> Honestly, you talked about films that were your favorites that were on your list when you were a kid and you felt like you still had to honor them. Uh, if I were honoring films like that, The Secret of the Ooze would be on that list, but I have revisited it as an adult and um, <laughs> yeah. it should be on no one's favorite film. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, I remember having the humbling experience of watching the movie Superstar again, the Molly Shannon mm-hmm. movie based on Mary Catherine Gallagher from SNL. In college, I watched it with other people. Grim experience. I remember being like, oh, you won't believe this line and this line. Those lines still existed and nothing else. Uh, Elaine Hendricks, I honor you, though. Yeah. Uh, I feel like one of my big things with like my favorite films are sort of like, I tap into directors that i feel like everyone loves but you know like my favorite film ends up being like one of the like weirder films in their filmography like i love the coen brothers i think you know burn after reading is my favorite coen brothers film i did i just think, I think that's a sophisticated choice I just yeah. think the casting is is such an interesting cast for them i think the addition of like brad pitt um elizabeth marvel like Tilda Swinton in this cast with their usuals like uh, Francis McDormand and George Clooney like I feel like that cast is just really fucking good and I wish that we would see more um, I wish we would see more inventive casts like that in films you know I, I think dynamite casting is a key to uh, keeping a favorite film because you, you want to be reunited with that exact group of people mm-hmm. when you're going to sit down with it and I think Adam Simley values this comes up on gay Twitter all the time perfectly cast mm-hmm. but also maybe the most perfectly cast movie of the past 25 years come on now talented Mr. Ripley oh I mean t- that I forgot to put that on my list I think you did too yeah that's I gotta be loved, a I love yeah, right. talented yeah. fucking Mr. Ripley uh, so much that I added I think I would put there. I, <laughs> the talented right. fucking Mr. Ripley I <laughs> love the, I mean talk about vibes though yeah. Oh no. Right. Sinister. Uh, we're all rich, but we're all full of intrigue and w- pretension, but also depth of character. So artificiality plus depth. I love that. Yeah. Mix. Um. But in that vein of like the Coens and that one, I put like um 
I was trying to think of a Scorsese film that is like in my fave, and I really think it's The Age of Innocence. Winona wowed me in that one. I have to say I'm a bit of a doubter when it comes to Winona Ryder and that performance is airtight. I'm a Michelle, Michelle girl. Michelle, of course, is absolutely serving. Yeah, yes. I'm a Michelle girl and Daniel Day-Lewis is like sexy in this film. Sexy. Not my favorite performance of his. It's always weird when you watch a movie of his and realize he actually doesn't nail it 100% mm. of the time. If you've watched The Crucible recently, overdone. Why would I watch The Crucible? I know. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. uh, to wrap this up, um, I think um, we've both talked about how uh, Jackie Brown is sort of like Tarantino's underrated classic, but I feel like people right. online have started to figure that out. Oh, sure. Uh, and also the only scene where somebody is just, they scream the name Lewis several times, so I have to honor that. <laughs> and uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention um, Batman Returns, you know, superhero films that is sort of like the um, nader for me. And I think that we could get something weird like that again um, from my favorite director, Almodovar. Also, All About My Mother is on this list because it's uh, iconic and soapy um, and just sort of like one of his most beautiful films ever. Um, he was one of those directors that people asked, like, what do you think of superhero films? And he wasn't a director who was like, I hate them. He was like, I don't think they're sexy enough, you know, and there's too much like studio interference. And he said that he would love to do like something with Batgirl. And then Penelope Cruz was asked what she thought about him saying that. And she was like, if Almodovar does Batgirl, I need to be the lead. I need to be in it. And honestly, a weird, wacky superhero movie like the way Batman Returns is with Michelle Pfeiffer and Danny DeVito and like the twistedness of that. Imagine Almodovar doing like Batgirl with Penelope Cruz. That does sound heavenly. I also just want to give my respect to the fact that he didn't just criticize superhero movies offered a solve. Yeah. Like, uh, what if, what if, what if it had this? Because by the way, that is not the instinct I have. <laughs> if, if you catch me on the wrong day. I'm like, here are the 50 things I don't like. About you know, so. Uh, I think we exhausted mo all our favorite films. I mean, obviously we yeah, have uh a ton more, but. Right. Uh, I just want to say quickly about Clue. I did end up rewatching it recently, and I am shocked to say I was laughing at newer and different things. Like the way Mr. Green picked, a, uh, that'd be Michael McKean, mm -hmm. uh, is telling the cops who showed up to investigate, you know, this mansion of murders. Uh, uh, his line readings as this closeted agent. Very fun. Mm. So uh, check out Michael McKean. Mm. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't believe I also just glossed over Heathers, which is at the top of my list. And Clue reminded me Heathers of that. A little... Clue reminded oh, me yeah, of that. Uh -huh. um, listen, it can. I've rewatched it, and it it is slow. I, I think it's slow. I also think it's like jokes that are repeated, which gets sluggish. Mm -hmm. But the jokes in that movie that hit are some of the, not just funniest, but some of the like harshest jokes yeah. that I think have ever been in a film. Like, there are lines in Heathers that would not fly anywhere today in a film. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's a movie about cruelty. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the cruelty, but also just the jokes about, like, uh, the jokes about, like, weight in it, the jokes about suicide. It's just, it's just you, you can't sort of, you can't satirize things like that 
today in the way that you were um, in a film like that, just because of censors and the way that people are sensitive to jokes. You can't you can't do comedy anymore, Lewis. People are too sensitive. <laughs> what was that, Bill Maher? Yeah. <laughs> All right. When we are back, um, we sit down with the icon Michelle Yeoh to discuss everything, everywhere, all at once, and all of her other classic films. I mean, she's been in so many. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. I think our guest today truly needs no introduction. She is a legend, um, the star of the action-packed, hilarious, <laughs> so much going on film that I can't wait to talk with her about everything, everywhere, all at once. The Michelle Yeoh. Thank you so much for joining no, us today. Very happy to be here, Ira and Louis. Uh, um, I first want to say this movie is amazing uh, and you are amazing in it. uh, And it is so exciting to see you um, in a role like this. And I want to ask you um, before this interview, I revisited. um, Yes, madam. uh, Oh, wow. (laughs) And what's so interesting about that is that you immediately have this amazing screen presence you are so funny in that film and you were just sort of like really command the screen with your um skill at like martial arts and you just sort of like really commandeer that film and i want to know um were you always um a funny person like i know you started out in pageants uh but like you're you're so you're, you're so funny in in yes madam you're so great at martial arts it's like where did this all come from oh my god definitely not from a pageant right <laughs> <laughs> they don't teach you that not doing the wah, wah, wah. you're the original <laughs> miscongeniality okay you were <laughs> personality probably right the one that goes like good friend okay bye-bye <laughs> no um when i first started there was nothing funny i never saw myself my producers never really saw me as funny they were very focused on it's true the movie that i was in yes madam is one of my first action films mm-hmm. In fact, the first movie I was in is a action comedy movie, but the comedy and the action were all done by Sammo Hong and the legendary Sammo Hong and George Lam, the amazing singer actor. Uh, and when I was watching them, I'm thinking like, I can do this, you know, because this it very much is all choreography. It's all about precision and timing. It's like dance. It's like the world of ballet and dance that I've been involved in for the last blah, blah, blah of my life. So when I was so grateful when the producers are, well, okay, you know, she's a little bit crazy. She must be crazy if she wants <laughs> to even try because that world of martial arts and is physical. 
I mean, if you ask the Jackie Chans and the Jet Li and the Master Yun Mo Ping and the Sammo Hong, there was nothing funny. It looked funny. Mm-hmm. There was physical comedy, but the stunts and the, the action that they did was very physical and dangerous. Because at that time, remember in the heydays of the amazing times of Hong Kong cinema, where that was where I started, we didn't have CGI. We didn't have the budgets to have cables. We have these like scrawny little thin wires that held the whole body weight and you were like whizzing around in the air. And when it snapped, you literally, the stun guys just fall from wherever they are. So at that point, when I actually turned around and say, I would like to try this, they looked at me like I was insane. <laughs> but then, you know, she studied abroad. Maybe that just screwed with her head. But you know, if you want to try it, that's okay. So they, yes, madam, I was surrounded by comedians like the John Sham, the Choi Huck. They were like the high-powered comedy actors. I mean, they walked into the set and people laughed. So I was tasked with, okay, now I have to convince the audience that I belong here. I deserve to have a place next to the guys doing this martial arts. So I trained very hard. And it was, it was not, not an easy task because they have been, they paid their dues to be where they are. They, it didn't come on a silver platter for them. So to join the boys club, which it was a boys club, you know, they will tell you because they did it in that way in the in the mindset. We protect our women. We don't let them get hurt. And they and except, you know, Jackie says that I go like, no, bro, don't go there. <laughs> and, you know, because we have to learn to protect ourselves. And if you keep doing that, then we will never grow to be who we are. Right. Which is which is prevalent all the time. So that was the beginning of my days, my start of uh, doing martial arts. I was well protected. I was well loved. I was well taught and well protected in the sense that when you do a stunt, when you do the action sequences, you must learn to respect each other. You know, you have to have the stamina. You have to have the precision. If I say I punch you in here, I'm not going to punch you here, right? Mm-hmm. And the only way to do that is if you are in training and that you are, you have the capabilities and not just say like, yeah, 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 yeah. No, there is discipline. There is hard work. And there is like, you, you sweat blood. And that's how it is. So, but I loved it. I loved the physical uh, aspect of it. I love the challenge of it. I love to be part of the boys gang and go like, yeah, let's go out and have fun, man. You know, you get to do things that you would never get. I would never do in real life. I don't believe in violence. Um, I was so pleased to see this clip of you that's going around viral. I believe you're talking to GQ and you talk about how oh when you... Oh my God. Oh, that's such a beautiful <laughs> goes, interview. Yeah. Uh, uh, right after you oh say you love God. hanging with the boys, I bring up a moment in which you cry. This is not to be <laughs> cruel. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I'm never going to live this down. Oh. But something I loved about that clip was you talk about how even just reading the script all of these kind of genres are apparent. Like there's comedy in it, there's tragedy, there's martial arts, et cetera. 
What's crazy to me is I cannot picture this as a script. So much is going on on screen that I can't picture that translated to the page. So how much of what you see in this movie are you surprised to see? Because I can't picture it all just existing in the script. I'm not surprised. It's all in the script. Wow. Mm. If you see a, 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 a picture of my script, because how I work is like I tag every scene that I'm in. And on the side, normally, you know, when you have a script, you, I would tag it on the side. So I look at the script and I know, okay, I am in like 30 of the whatever pages or whatever. I'm in 50 or something like this. So that's my process. And if it's an action movie, it has like, okay, this is a dramatic scene. It will be tagged in yellow. It is an action scene. It will be tagged in red. By the time I finished tagging my script, I first started off with, you know, the big, stickers mm -hmm. and i found okay i'm not gonna have enough space for this because in <laughs> one page there are 10 multi-universes <laughs> going on so i went on to the like, the really itty bitty skinny ones and by the time i finished one day i'm gonna post that on my instagram and you guys will see what i mean <laughs> my script was tagged all the way around with all the colors of the rainbow because it's <sighs> Each universe get their own color. And by the end, I was like, what the hell am I dealing with? It was, <laughs> I am in every single scene. Every single scene. There is like just no like, okay, I can take the next few days off and wander around and see what's going to happen. It was like, no. But it was written like that. The Daniels did not stray. They had a, this was like their Bible. And remember, we are an independent film. We're like, yes, we're an independent film on steroids and probably a lot of, I don't know what they were feeding us. <laughs> but the fact was, it, we had eight weeks, but 37 shooting days. And you cannot go and do this with all the crazy things happening, you know, by saying, ah, oh, well, let's see what happens today. No, 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 no. They, they are, they are, their team, Larkin, our DP, uh, you know, the stunt coordinator, Tim, you know, with the, the set designer, the Jason, the, everyone, they all, they've been together, they work together. And Paul, our editor, I mean, I met his wife and he says, you've been living with us for two years. I'm like, oh dear, I don't know what to say to that. But <laughs> they know each other so well. So they know they're editing as they're like they, the, the martial arts sequences. It's not by accident. They know how to pull back when they want you to see and then give you the most intense close-ups, right? right? This is not by accident. This is understanding their craft, understanding the different techniques that they can put into this. When we don't have the money to do special effects, to do the confetti, blah, blah, blah. They have confetti coming out of the guy. So it is done with precision. It is done with like great thought. And so, Everything I was was I surprised to see some things, you know what? Because there are so many multiverses going on, you when you see it, you go, oh, oh, the link, you know, like the opera singer. It's like, okay, why am I suddenly an opera singer? You know, <laughs> he was blinded as a kid, but you only see because when you read it, it is at different times of the shot, so you don't see it as a scene and only comes together right at the end when she needs that skill. And you see why, oh, she became blind because she fell on that and she blinded herself as a kid. So, but then 
the father taught her another skill, another gift that she had, which was her voice. And I'm like, what's an opera singer got to do with a skill? Oh, because she can hold her breath. Ah. <laughs> so then, you know, all these like imagery that you shoot ties in and gives you that, yes, you are not surprised, but the realization mm. how it is tied together. That's the beauty of that journey. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, speaking of even that moment that Lewis brought up too, you know, um, I love how you talk about how, you know, this was sort of like a script, like a, a, a role that you'd been waiting for and you were, uh, it was almost like a gift to you. And um, you've had such a long career um, with so many different roles. Um, what, what would you say you felt like you have been missing um, in your roles before this film came along? And sort of like, what do you still feel like you want to do on screen um, that people maybe haven't given you the opportunity to because you, you know, you, you're Michelle Yell, like you beat people up, you can fly through the sky, you know? <laughs> no, I think in this particular one, I think where I, I, I know that GQ interview you are talking about, it was suddenly that moment, you know, when you feel that the Daniels, they saw me. People, you know, you want people to see you and give you the opportunity to show you what I am capable of. And that's what they gave me. It was a very precious gift. And then not just them, they had the, the guts to write it. And then we had A24 who believed that their guts were right. And Michelle Yeoh is crazy enough to want to do this. <laughs> and then to hold out for a cinema release. In these times, you know, we've been, we've had a, a real, it's been hard the last two years. Mm -hmm. And I think on, on many different levels for each person, for families, that disconnection. And finally to be able to, it was such a moment of everything, everything just coming together, like the stars aligned and you, you can't even begin to, to know who to thank, but somebody is like, in the universe is looking after this little movie that we poured so much love into. The theater was and packed, I, I want to tell you. You know, like people are going out. That's to how you have it. to watch the movie, right? Yeah. You have a shared experience. It's like going back to our primal days when our ancestors like were under the stars and they were storytelling around the campfire and things like this. And for us, this is our safe place. You know, in the cinema where we, we are with strangers, we are with people that we don't know, or we are with our family and people that we love. But the experience, the shared experience of joy, of pain, of laughter is so real that we, we feel it with each other. And I think this was what this movie has come out at an opportune time that we can have that what the, mm, let's just and waste <laughs> it and have a great time. And you're right. You have to see it in the cinemas and not just once. I think it's, I find that with the first time when you watch it, the intellect kicks in, the cerebral part kicks in. And you go like, okay, I'm going to know who and what. And then after like 15 minutes, you're like, <laughs> that's become, that's when you become like Evelyn Wong. And that's what <laughs> you think of them. The second time when you watch it, you're not so like, okay, I am prepared to put on the safety belts, be in for this roller coaster ride and just go, ah, because now you have an inkling. Oh, they have to do crazy things or 
ridiculous things before they can multiverse jump, right? That's all you need to know. And then when they go to that universe, Evelyn Wong is going to learn a skill that she has never thought that she would possess. And she'll come back here and do all these like crazy things and fight for humanity and fight for the people that she loves. That's the, and the core of the story is that, is the familial connections that we all find so relatable with. Um, speaking of skills, uh, you mentioned something in your interview magazine feature with Paul Giamatti where oh, you talk uh-huh. about who, I mean, that's so rad that you talked to him for that. Um, but you mentioned how you mastered a calm, serene look for when you do martial arts. And in this movie, <laughs> you have to merge the martial arts with comedy, with you know, confusion, since this character is perpetually confused for the movie. <laughs> and to me, that sounds almost like the hardest part, like having to mesh like a comic sensibility with like how hard the martial arts is. And I was wondering, like, how, did that take 500 takes to get right, to get all of that right lined up? Because you just said you had no time to make this movie either. No, you remember, this is, in the, you don't have the luxury of so many takes, you know, you have to get it right. And I think because we, and all it takes is the Daniels. And this is what I say to them every day at the beginning of, I'm going to be confused because you're going to be like multi-jumping me. I know the gist of it, but you have, you're like my, my, my anchors, right? You two are going to hold my hand and you're going to bring me back when I need to come back. And you, this is what you do. You are the directors. Remember that, right? You are very simply the directors. Don't play trick, mess with my head. (laughs) <laughs> it's already messed up enough. So when that happens, you know, when you jump into the universe, when I fight, I automatically, it's very, because that's what we've been trained to do all this time. It's like when you fight, you maintain, because you are the mentor, you are the teacher, you are the number one martial artist. So you don't like, you don't, you don't flinch when a punch comes at you. You you learn to do it with the Zen-like quality, right? So, and I'm fighting with Jamie and she's the best. She's fun. She's like gung-ho. She's like willing to, to do this. And then the Daniels come up to me and she's like, uh, but Evelyn Wong doesn't know how to fight. <laughs> so, you know, when she gets the skill, her face is registering the confusion of why the hell are my hands doing these like, incredible things and I have no control. You know, it's like the whole story when she's talking about Rakakuni and all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Like someone you get into your head and then they make you do all these things and you don't realize what you're doing. And everybody's like, what the hell are you talking about? So I have to register the what the frig is going on here? And then so wow, I could do all this. You know, from the change of expression, you are suddenly Evelyn Wong, who have got this new skills and then able to do all these physical things. Yes, you learn to fracture your, your mind. You learn to like split it. And it's like body does this, face does this. And that is going to how it is work. So that was the great challenge. But that's why I signed up for the movie was the challenge of doing things that I had not done before. I, I want to talk a bit about um, you run the gamut of people you've worked with, you know, like you started out, you know, you said working with like, you know, like Sam Hong, you know, like as a, like a director and also like doing stunts early on. And then you I feel like you got to work with so many icons and like the um, yes. Hong Kong cinema world when you did um, Crouching Tiger. Um, what was that experience like, you know, working with Ang Lee and also 
you know, just having him bring together so many people who done um, films, you know, uh, Hong Kong like cinema for for years, um, now all sort of in one movie, um, being able to work together. Working in, with Ang Lee is like poetry in motion. You know, he is, he, the way he loves cinema, the way he loves the humanity and the storytelling. If you look at it, it's a very intimate movie. It's about literally three people, well, four, Jade Fox being the antagonist, right? It's about Li Mu Bai, Yu Xiulian that I play, and Zhang Ji and her, her young lover. So it's about the, what is important and the martial arts world. And that was what Ang Lee was trying to do. He was trying to present to the world something that he knew as a child. The martial arts world is not something that the West would know. But when I first spoke with him, he said to me, I want to do sense and sensibility with martial arts. Mm. And that was when I was, I was doing the press for Tomorrow Never Dies, one of the most incredible movie that any actress would want to be part of. And I waited two years. I didn't do another movie mm. after that, waiting for Ang Lee, because... We all believed in him. We all believed in his vision. And we all wanted to make it happen. Chow Yun-Fat, myself, Peter Powell, Bill Kong. We all came together to say, we want the rest of the world to embrace our culture in that way. Um, it was one of the best, one of the most poignant, one of the most beautiful, but one of the most painful experiences because I tore my ACL after the first action sequence when I was, you know, around the, the wall and mm -hmm. I run up the wall and down the wall and then I think when you're on the wire, off the wire, on the wire, off the wire, your body gets so confused. Your mind is like, where the hell is it going? You know, one time I jump and I'm soaring in the sky. Next time I jump, I land thud and my, I'm like, what happened to you? How come I can't fly? And it was on the last day of the shoot. My, it felt like someone clubbed my knee. I fell to the ground and I was fighting with the stun double. And I was, I was like, why did you kick me? And the poor guy was so horrified. He was like, I didn't touch you. I didn't. And I thought, no, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You didn't. There was no way because we were both doing it at a distance. But upon Master Yun Ping, who was our stunned choreographer's coordinator at that time, and Angie, who was the editor, they went frame by frame to understand how was that possible that, you know, that simple thing that, but that's always the, the case. The simplest motions are the ones that you get into trouble with. And in one of the shots, they saw that my leg, when I was doing the front jump kick, had just touched his leg, mm. which probably that split second, which I really didn't even know or notice, right? And when I landed, it just wiped me out. And it was most also painful but beautiful because. Ang could have changed me because I had only done that action sequence. And action sequences with the artistry of Master Yun Wopeng, he could double it. You know, they could take all the shots and then make another person look like it was them who was fighting. And uh, they could have done that easily. But I will never forget when I was in, in, in Johns Hopkins with the specialist who said, I can wrap your leg up, your knee up, because your, your, your ACL is gone. It's not just like torn. It's like if you 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 basically you can run, you can jump, you can do sudden stops, you can walk gently, and that's about it. And you're like, I'm doing a martial arts movie. That's not possible, right? 
So Ang and Bill Kong, our producer at that time, just turned around and say, do what you need to do, get them fixed you up, and we will wait for you. Mm. Mm. Thank they God did. they did. My God. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, what a movie. Uh, yeah, incredible. No, as far as I'm concerned, there's also no second one of that movie. I just remember that was a movie that you came out and everybody I know had to see it. And it was like, wait, now I have to research every movie that's ever been like this in history. It was such an education for everybody. So you really ushered in something for a, a lot of uh, film viewers. I said, I'm looking through your filmography. Truly, most of the things you have done over your career seem like the most time consuming and bodily harmful <laughs> things ever. Like there, there are a couple of movies here like you were in last Christmas a couple years ago or whatever. We're like, okay, she maybe that was only a couple weeks, but I just want to remind you, movies don't have to be like the most stressful situation of your life. I just want to say that. And I was wondering, are you craving just kind of like, I don't know, a rom-com? Something that like, you know, is just in an earthly normal realm ever? Absolutely. Yeah. I would love to do that. You know, uh, yes. Uh, resounding yes. But w- does it mean that I have to choose one over the other? I hope not. Good. Yeah. Right? Because, yeah. you know, I love the challenges of being of doing things. And it's nice. I would love to do a rom-com in a musical or something like that. It would be so fun. And you're right. It doesn't always have to be physical and, you know, maybe a, a threat of being injured or things like that. And it would be so nice just to do something that's like, intimate and fun and loving yes and i'm fun. glad i'm glad to hear that because even looking at crazy rich asians i'm like that's like the most gigantic production ever like even that movie which could be you know just a fun, a quote-unquote fun movie seems incredibly demanding based on how much time it must have taken to put I together mean, the mahjong scene alone you know oh, please. Like, like the the choreography that i feel like had to go into that yeah. No, you know, it's the thought that goes behind. It's the respect that you give that culture. What is important to that culture? Mahjong is very important to the Chinese culture. And it's not just a game. There's much that goes on behind that game. It's like bridge. You know, it's like backgammon. It's like all these kind of things. Chess. Why do you play? It's a battle of wits. And it's, you know, it's like very reminiscent a bit of uh, Memoirs of a Geisha mm-hmm. when I was negotiating with the mama-san about Sayuri and, you know, bringing her in. And we were just like tossing the the teacups around, you know, like pushing to you and coming back to me. And it is a battle where there is no physical fighting, but the, 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 the battle is there in how you handle the cards and things like that. And what are the, the innuendos of the dialogue? No, so in that, you know, it's, it's interesting because in this movie, I get to be funny. I get to do physical comedy and everything everywhere all at once. Like in Crazy Rich Asians, everybody is having a wild time. And I get to play the most serious, like, you know, a scary part. (laughs) (laughs) I just go with them to the beach party, man. Come on. (laughs) Um, I would be interested to know, like, what kind of, like, films do you consume? You know, you're you're, you're known for, you know... um, you know, these martial art films that are, you know, the um very involved um and technical, but like when Michelle Yo is at home, like what are you watching? Like what interests you? <laughs> Actually, I watch everything. I'm a, such a movie buff. I mean, I would go to the cinemas by myself and I constantly do. Um, maybe one thing that would surprise you is like I love horror films. Mm. Mm. 
Ah, I would go and watch a horror film by myself, wondering if I sit close to the door or sit right at the back when there's no one behind me. I love, I love drama. I love mysteries. I love thrillers. I, I just basically love the thrill of being in the cinema. I just love that experience because it's a way of escapism. I, you know, the magic of not having to just enjoying something a story i love musicals i love mm-hmm. everything so i watch anything now i'm even watching you know baking shows it's like what the hell happened to me <laughs> <laughs> well i mean like you're this is an a24 film and you've just now said you love horror films so i feel like in two years we oh, will yeah. see you in some a24 <laughs> horror film know. where you're torturing your family I or something <laughs> I am. I am a little bit. Uh, I don't want to dwell in the realm mm. of others. You know what I mean. <laughs> I love to watch them, but I don't want to be invited into their realm. We'll keep it up. I the like screen. my. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I just I just want to say your enthusiasm for all these different types of movies totally comes across in this movie. And like only I think only somebody who has that that fervor and that zeal for movies could give a performance like you gave. (laughs) So I thank you so much for that. Oh, thank Mm. you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I just lost. But it's true. I think with this movie, we all just literally looked at each other. Yes. Like with key with Jamie, with Stephanie and James Hong. And we, we looked and and Harry Shum as well, right? We just looked at each other and go like, yes, we are unapologetic with the silliness, the raunchiness or whatever it is. And let's just have a great time. Let's believe in this. And we literally held hands to say, there's the big old, let's jump in. And we all grabbed the Daniels by the ears and like, ah, <laughs> that was the only way you could do it. It's like to be fearless, right? And in that way, we empower each other. We just go for it. And we did. We went for it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, lastly, I just feel like, you know, you've done so much. Um, are there things <laughs> are there things that like are there films that you, you you're known so much for, you know, like Crouching Tiger, you know, and like um now this film, um like you know, it's like genre bending films that are, you know, like introducing people to like a whole new way of seeing the cinema. Um, are, is there like a film that you've done in your career that you feel like, you know, sort of like you wish more it it had gotten more attention or something that you really look fondly back on and you're like, I had, you know, I re- had a really great time making this film. Right. Um, yes, yes. You know, that when we set out to do a film, obviously you want the best for it to happen. And the best for a movie is like to get the best box office, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it is show business. I mean, that's the reality of it. It's like you, we, we do it because we want people to be able to embrace it and say, yes, this is. And sometimes you do movies where maybe it's a little bit ahead of their time and people are like, oh, why, what? You know, maybe uh, like the heroic trio. I had the best time making that. One particular favorite of mine is Reign of Assassins that I did with uh, Jung Woo Sung. Mm-hmm. Um, and John Jung Woo and Tam Woo was the director. Um, and I felt that there was so much heart in that film. And I, I really wished more people saw it. And another one is The Lady that uh, was directed by Luke Besson. Besson. Yeah, yes. it's, yeah, that's such a... That's such a it's. I feel like it's such an outlier as like a Luc Besson film uh, because it's so intimate. Well, that's, what 
Because if you think about it, as artists, you have to explore, you have to do things out of your comfort zone. He can't just do taxi driver the whole time, right? I mean, fifth element the whole time. Yes, he could. I mean, and he's great at it. But then, you know, sometimes you have to do something that's so. But he did that with love and heart. That was a story that he really, really wanted to tell. And so did I. And that's how we came together to do The Lady, which was about the Burmese dissident, Aung San Suu Kyi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fabulous performance, by the way. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a gorgeous film. Um, I mean, and we, we could say that about so many things you've done. I mean, I just want to reiterate that, like, this movie um, is mind-blowing. Uh, I, I am definitely going to have to see it again. Uh, and, I, you know, I've just been everyone. It's, it, it's been a while since a film has, like, been released that I feel like I am constantly getting texts from friends being like, do you want to go see this movie or have you seen this movie? Or they're like, if you haven't seen it, I'll see it again. Um, It's, I think it's just a really, really um, beautiful film. That is amazing because that is what we hope we see. You know, what we need now is more conversations between people, you know, like good, wonderful, shared ideas. And, you know, like, uh, oh, did you see that part? Did you realize this? And, you know, and, not to be left out. What do you mean you didn't see? You better go watch it before you can join the party here, right? And that's so great. And that's what I love about, you know, yes, there's so many different reasons, the internet, the word of mouth, and it's so important because we have real conversations with each other, with family, with friends, and sometimes even with strangers because we are having a shared experience. So this is, that's fantastic. I'm so glad to hear it. Yeah. Oh. Well, thank you so much, uh, oh. for being here with us. I mean, it was truly an honor to talk to you today. Nice talking to you guys. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Everything Everywhere All at Once is in theaters now. We will be right back with Keep It. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode it is keep it lewis what's good sometimes i don't really have a keep it and so i scrounge twitter i was like okay someone's got to be mad about something and uh, (laughs) something just fell right into the slot and here it is not upsetting me just you know tiring me a little bit there's going to be a movie based on spirit halloween stores uh let me explain this. Uh, this is what the plot description says. When a new spirit Halloween store appears in a deserted strip mall, three middle school friends who think they've outgrown trick-or-treating make a dare to spend the night locked inside the store a Halloween night. But they soon find out that the store is haunted by an angry evil spirit who has possessed the creepy animatronic characters. Is this a night at the museum? Like I say, we already spent that night at the museum. So <laughs> I'm a member. I don't need, I don't need to go back. Um, and then secondly... Uh, the stars of the movie are, speaking of Clue, Christopher Lloyd, which, God bless the man for still working. I, I assume he's like 84 years old, literally. This star of Back to the Future and uh, plenty of other classics. He was in Taxi, plenty of classics. And Rachel Lee Cook, who was very upset about drug use in America once upon a time. Uh, that is her, right? Yeah, she was she was um, slamming um, a skillet around her kitchen and telling us what our brain looked like on drugs. This is your friends? Yeah. <laughs> the way she made friends, two syllables. Very important. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. A, a night spent in a spirit Halloween store. I mean, it's just not that thrilling. I, I, that would be a Halloween for me to forget. Uh, when I go to a spirit Halloween store, I have ended up there accidentally because I have not prepared a costume. And so now I'm stuck in the final week before Halloween. And because it's the only thing left, I have to be a police officer. And that is not cool right now. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know what? I would watch this film if they were in staying inside like a, an Abercrombie and Fitch. Oh, absolutely. Give me a haunted mall store. Like, uh, yeah. What did we do with all those? What was that store called? Rule? What did we do with all yes. those like gothic cathedrals we were putting up everywhere? Yeah, give me chopping mall, but like in an Abercrombie, <laughs> I'd love it. Yeah, okay? sure. It was just like uh, hot, hot models in like 2004, um, and puka shell necklaces being killed. Right. No, I, I love themed murders in mall stores. Like for someone to be, you know, you know, scalped or decapitated in a lids. That's fun, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of final destination, like. <laughs> Uh, all right. My keep it this week is to um a terrorist. Oh, a terrorist. A, a, a terrorist of the theater. Oh, a terrorist of film, and now a political terrorist, David Mamet. Oh God, don't you love it when he opens his big speed talking mouth? <laughs> um, here's the thing about David Mamet. As a playwright, I feel like he gets a lot of credit because Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross was turned into a film, and then Alec Baldwin gave a very good monologue in that film, and that's why we still talk about that play, because it's kind of boring. Sure. I mean, it's just like, look at these nine pricks. Yeah. Uh, and th- and that's sort of what he did professionally. Like, he wrote about pricks and sort of, like, toxic masculinity, and I guess the idea was that... He was commenting on it. Um, as it turns out, <laughs> he's probably just writing from experience because he's a prick. Oh, weird. Yeah. Uh, a, he is revealed himself to be, one, a MAGA fanatic who believes that the election was stolen. Uh, we, we love that original thought. That really... That you, that you didn't take from Donald fucking Trump. It's so it's so interesting that this like brand of person thinks they are free thinking. It's like you literally only think this because one person one person is telling you it. He also popped up on Fox News recently. You know the home of um Caitlyn Jenner, right? <laughs> the country home of Caitlyn Jenner. Yes. Yeah, uh, Caitlyn Jenner's own Fox News. Um, to talk about the don't say gay bill in Florida and. I certainly know that um, if if I'm a reputable news organization and I want to get someone to chime in on um, a bill in Florida, you know, um, a don't say gay bill in Florida, uh, I'm definitely going to look to David Mamet. (laughs) Surely he will put this into perspective. Yeah, whatever you do, don't talk to a fucking LGBT person. (laughs) <laughs> i guess fox news you can just call up and be like i'm on your side can i be on the air and if you have like a pulitzer nomination they're like well i guess you know <laughs> so he went on to talk about how many male teachers are quote-unquote inclined to be pedophiles sounds scientific I, I love that poll he took are they abusing the kids physically 
No, but they're abusing them mentally and using sex to do so. This has always been the problem with education. Teachers are inclined, typically men, because men are predators to pedophilia. What the fuck? <laughs> are you talking about also that sounds like a little bit of projection on my part where it sounds like the only quote-unquote research you've done is admitting oleana yeah right oh my god do about a literal predator who's a teacher right and uh 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 and julia Stiles still has that on her record like a scarlet letter (laughs) how many calls do you think lawrence fishburne sam rockwell and darren chris have made to their agents following this Fox News spot to get them out of American Buffalo, which is opening on Broadway right now. Oh, my God. I didn't even know that. Ugh. Larry, God help you. First of all, the fact that I was even contemplating seeing this play in the first place before all of this happened uh, is the power of Sam Rockwell. Right. Whom we do. He was so good in Fosse Verdon. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I love Sam Rockwell. He's one of my favorite uh living actors right now and obviously i love Lawrence fishburne and you know darren chris is cute he he served it in that versace show (laughs) that's that's true and Lawrence fishburne and darren chris i adore too but i just can't one imagine american buffalo being relevant yeah for broadway right now anyway a david mamet play being relevant and even more so now that he's revealed himself to be a complete piece of shit he just is the epitome of that person who was very representative of a, of a kind of voice in theater that felt like the it moment at the time. And then unfortunately that person has to keep living. So they are, they're brain festers and they are obsessed with the feeling of, of, of being this prism of truth telling. And instead of, you know, keeping up with the people, they are just keeping up with their own egotism and their own, and it, what originally was fresh about them becomes ignorant quickly. It's it's just everything he says in the clip, too, like, veers from, um, what are you talking about, to literal insanity. He goes on to say, like, people have gone nuts. People are frightened because there's huge changes in societies that are brought about by people in power. The people in power, as always, are to a large extent parasites who are feeding off of the decaying of flesh <laughs> i mean it sounds like at least mel mel gibson was like drunk when he made a lot of his rank right? you know what i mean but you're sober you're on television anyway um but shut the fuck up i would love that love that. uh uh and i hope american buffalo closes we love that too yes yeah but honestly you know what's actually probably gonna happen It'll, it'll probably be flooded with, like, MAGA types going to support his play. I mean, if that's what gets them back to the theater, I mean, I don't know the last time. Money is money, so I don't know. <laughs> uh, all right. That's our show this week. Thank you to Michelle Yeoh for being fabulous. Transcendent. Uh, and we will... See you next week. And feel free to send me your definition of favorite movie and what you rank above other things because it's still vexing me. So, Yeah, send us your favorite films on Twitter and Instagram. Argue with us about our favorite film choices. Uh, you know, we love debate. Yeah, tell me Yeah, tell me why my mo- the movies I picked are bad. That's a, a, an argument I'd like to get into. <laughs> uh, all right, we'll see you next week with more Keep It is a Crooked Media production. 
Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III and Louis Fertel. Our editor is Charlotte Landis, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroote, Nar Malconian, and Delon Villanueva for our production support every week. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.